place. But we're looking at a significant encounter from the book of Job today. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Job, we're going to read Job chapter 42 together this morning. And this is what it says. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is that that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of these things and did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Elipaz the Termite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offerings for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So Elipath the Termite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and they ate with him in his house. They comforted him and consoled him over the tr- all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 donkeys. And he had also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, And so Job died, an old man and full of years. I'm going to pray, and then Zoe's going to come and bring the word to us this morning. We do thank you, Lord, for what your word teaches us. We thank you, Lord God, that your word pulls no punches, that we see the good, the bad, and the ugly in it, Lord Jesus. And we thank you how it speaks into our life. And my prayer this morning is that as Zoe speaks, we will hear your voice, King Jesus. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In our passage this morning, I think we see a definition of what it means to encounter God. And as I was studying this week, as I was preparing for this morning, this has leapt out at me, and I hope that we can revisit it as we go together, seeing how Job encountered God. You might have picked up on it as Luke shared the reading with us. But Job exclaims to God, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
And there's something so rich in this expression of how Job would define encountering God that I want us to hang on to this morning. There's past and there's present language in this. I have heard of you. I have known you almost from a distance in the past. But now, in the present moment, my God has met with me and I have seen him. This language speaks of encounter, and we're in a sermon series at the moment thinking about how God encounters his people throughout Scripture, inviting God to come and meet with us. We've spent this whole term thinking about worship, how we worship, who we worship, studying Colossians together, and now seeing examples of the God we worship encountering his people. And today I want us to frame and see how God meets with Job with this expression that Job uses himself at the very end of this book, at the very end of Job's wrestling, the testing, the suffering he faces, where he exclaims, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Because it leaves me asking the question, whether you have experienced this for yourself, whether you have encountered God. Because my first encounter with God changed the projection of my life. I grew up in a Christian household, grew up on a dairy farm, had a brilliant, really thankful for a simple, uh, loving childhood that I experienced. And I grew up in church, I heard about God, God was talked about in our home, we prayed together, but I hadn't seen him yet. And when I was 10 years old, my dad was seriously injured by a cow, and he was kicked against um, this concrete wall during milking. And my dad didn't get medical help straight away, he was a stubborn man with an incredible work ethic. And this pain Uh, deteriorated, and it was kind of niggled old injuries that he'd had as well. And it got to the point that he lost all movement from his waist down. So he was semi-paralyzed. And I remember feeling at the age of 10 more and more worried about this situation. And before my dad was admitted to hospital, God gave me a picture of a -a jack-in-a-box. Can you visualize one? Where it springs back to life. And I felt God say to me that currently my dad was being pressed down, but he was going to be propelled back to full health. And I remember sharing this with my dad before he went to hospital and him sort of sharing how it encouraged him. And things escalated. Like I said, he lost all movement from his waist down. And we were told that potentially he was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And I remember at that point thinking very simply like a child, I've never seen a dairy farmer in a wheelchair before. He ended up having really um, complicated surgery because he had, a very, he had a slit disc very high up in his spine, very high up in his neck. And my dad's claim to fame was that the surgery was delayed because of how much calcium he had in his bones and took such a long time to do this operation. But incredibly, and we believe miraculously as a family, my dad was healed. He recovered from this and made a full recovery and came back to farming. And a few years later, we actually moved dairy farms that we were renting. And we moved from a farm that was 88.8 acres to 188 
6.8 acres. Greater health and a bounce back. And I remember my dad coming back to church um, after this all had happened, testifying to God's goodness and sharing with the church this picture that I had had and shared with him. My ears had heard of God, but now my eyes had seen him at work. And I met God personally and it changed my life. He spoke to me, encouraged me, changed my family's scenario, circumstances. And then from that, I've had this desire that children and young people would know this God who speaks to them and changes their lives. And this story of Job that we're encountering this morning, we're wrestling with, is a story that my family can resonate with on a number of levels. My dad, a farmer, went to university to study agriculture, and that was quite shocking in his day. Normally people would just get on with it rather than learn about it. But he went to university and then came back to my granddad's farm, made a big difference with the knowledge that he had acquired. And at that time, the farm prospered. But my grandparents were also Devon County Council tenant farmers, and there was this rule that the son could not take on the farm, bizarrely. So when my parents got married, the farm was sold, and they would describe this period in their life as a fallow period, where they lost everything they had. Everything they had was taken away from them. They named their first daughter Jemima, that we see in our passage today, the same as Job's eldest daughter, trusting that God would rebuild things for them. And six months after Jemima arrived, they were given their own farm to have a go on. And my mum has diary entries of them starting from nothing, rebuilding again. Today, four cows arrived, and so on and so forth. We have known times of plenty and times of little. When you're involved in farming, there are so many things that are out of your control. But in the last five to six years, again as a family, we have known this feeling of losing everything. My dad was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's in his 50s, dementia, and we saw his health rapidly deteriorate. We struggled for a while, continued to keep things going, and then realized we needed to sell our cows, move, and find somewhere to live. My parents retiring 10 years plus early. And dad's health has deteriorated again so much that in January next year, he will have lived in a care home without memory of us for the last five years. Living with agitation, very little appetite, and no voice. And I share this this morning because I want us to frame this really big question that we see in the book of Job. That we wrestle with, does God allow suffering? Because I have wrestled with God over this many, many times. God, you're the God of miracles. I've seen you at work. Heal my dad once. This wasn't the bounce back that we were expecting. I have wrestled with God on behalf of others. And I'm sure you've done that too. For people that you love. For my mum who has lost so much. For my dad who has experienced such poor quality of life at the end of his life. And he was such a great man of faith for the grandchildren that he has had since that he has never met. We wrestle with God. And I'm sure you, like me, have experienced great testing, great suffering, 
and times in our lives where it feels like everything has been taken away from us. Because our reading this morning picks up at the very end of Job's life. In a way, we get to skip the story and see how it ends, see how God rebuilds his life again. We see the restoration from the pain that he he experiences. But I just want us to take a step back for a moment to see how God encounters Job, how they encounter each other. And then we'll land and see how God restores to Job his life. Because if you are unfamiliar with the story of Job, let me help you for a moment to make some of the parallels that I've made between my family's story and his Because Job is an obscure book in the Bible, set in a place called Uz, and it's far away from Israel, and Job is not an Israelite. And we don't know when this book was written, and in a way, I think that's the point. We don't get bogged down in the detail or the context, we just see a human life and can resonate with that. We're first introduced to Job as a blameless, righteous guy who honours God. And at the beginning of Job, we're transported to this heavenly realm, and we picture a court scene, almost, where we see God and his staff team, so to speak, in a discussion. And among the heavenly beings is Satan, known as the accuser or the prosecutor. And this accusation comes that Job only obeys you, God, because God at this point has described him as a righteous and blameless man, because God blesses him with wealth and prosperity. So God agrees for the accuser to test him. And right at this moment, we go, hang on a moment. This tests my view of God. We're left wrestling with the question, does God allow people to suffer? And we almost don't get an answer as we read the book of Job. But we see other questions set up, if you like. Other questions posed throughout the book. Is God just? And how does God rule? How does God reign? What system of justice does God operate with? And at the beginning of the book, we see how it's already going wrong for Job. His wife curses him, and he's approached by friends who offer lots of wisdom throughout the book. And we see repeated cycles where Job asks a question, and then his friends have a go at replying. And you might have heard teaching on this book before that probably has said, Job's friends get it wrong as soon as they start to speak, as soon as they try to frame what God is doing. But the big assumption that Job and his friends have wrong, have perverted, if you like, is this idea of God's justice, how he rules and how he reigns. Because they live by a formula, a very simplistic black and white formula that I think at times we fall into the trap of thinking. They think if you're a good person, and you're successful, then you should be rewarded. And they think if someone makes poor or bad or evil decisions, then they should be punished. And Job's friends think this to the point that they accuse Job of doing something wrong. They said, you must have done something to deserve this. 
And Job responds by saying, I'm innocent, my suffering, and he kind of lands to the point that what he's experiencing, God must have allowed. And he accuses God for his suffering. He says, either God doesn't have a system where justice operates, or he says, God must be unjust. We read in Job chapter 31, verse 35, the final points that Job gets to. And he says, and I think you can hear the anger, you can hear the pain that Job is carrying at this point. Imagine a man who has lost everything, who says, oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indicament in writing. In other words, God, show yourself. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes need to see you, right now in my pain. My view of God is being tested, changed, stretched. And Job is asking God to come and meet with him. And what God does is he appears to Job personally. And I just want to take you back briefly to this encounter that spans chapters 38 to 41. And I really want to encourage you to go and study it. Because God turns up and deals with these questions that have been posed to him. Am I unjust? What operating system do I work with? And he takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe and asks him questions about the order and the origin of creation. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And this goes on for a great length of time. Let's just read a few verses together. I'm in chapter 38, verses 1 to 7. Because it says, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. I love that. God is removed but there in the situation. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or if we keep going, let me take you to, to chapter 40. Because the Lord says to Job again, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who, who accuses God answer him. So then we see Job reply to the Lord in this encounter. I am unworthy, Job says. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth, I spoke once, but no answer. Twice, I will say no more. We see God encounter Job in his pain. And in our reading today, in chapter 42, we see a humbled Job, I think. After meeting with God, we see a man who has been experienced such suffering humbled by the almightiness of God. Job says, I know, God, you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things 
I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. An encounter with God humbles us, and it leaves us in awe of who he is. It gives us a greater perspective, and it makes us realize how infinitely bigger God is. He's the one who laid the foundations of the universe, who meets with us in our pain. Job's ears had heard of God, but now his eyes had seen him. Job accuses God, yet God meets him graciously in a holy way that only God can. And what puzzles me as I read this is how graciously God does accept Job's accusations. And it gives me hope because I have wrestled with God as milestones have gone by that my dad has missed, as I have visited and had excruciating visits at time. We wrestle with God when things come up in our lives, but we find comfort in how God restores Job And I just want us to finish with that today. Job meets with God and is restored by him. Because we read actually in chapter 42 that Job has done right in the eyes of the Lord. And Job is commanded to pray for, pardon, and make a sacrifice to pardon his friends. And we read that Job's friends have angered God in their response. And I find it amazing that it's Job's task to restore his friends. These are the people that have accused him, have caused him such great pain, and God asks him to pardon them, to pray for them, to be part of the restoration. We see God bless the later part of Job's life. He has 14,000 sheep three named beautiful daughters, and future generations to come. God meets with Job and restores his life. Today I wonder if we learned three things and if this might resonate with any of us here today. The first thing I think we learn, and I wonder if this might be where you're at, is this idea that some of us this morning might need to see God. You might have heard of him, but you long for your eyes to see him. You long for God to show up in your circumstances. We believe in a God who dwelt among his people, who came to this broken earth, whose word tells us that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. I wonder if there's some of us this morning that almost needs to see it in writing like Job did. God, if you're here, show yourself. Cry out to him. Last week we heard about the God who hears and sees us. Secondly, I wonder this morning whether you need permission like I've need permission in the past to wrestle with God to accuse, lament, to come before God with your questions about life. We see Job 
almost being applauded by God. And God restores him. Come and receive that permission, that word we had last week, to wrestle and encounter with God, boldly approaching him. Because God is with us. Do you have questions about his justice? Do you need your perspective widened? Can I encourage you to study God's encounter with Job? To see the questions God asks him and see what he might be saying to you. And thirdly, for others of us this morning, this is where I am, you might still be feeling the aftermath. You might still be holding the pain, the trauma, And your prayer this morning is, God, come and restore me. Would you meet with me to restore me? Because we see it so richly. Job now knows his rightful place before God. And God bestows a blessing on him. God uses Job to restore others to God. And we see him having to almost put into practice this idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness makes room for restoration. We see a life rebuilt and a fullness, many years of a full life still ahead of Job. If that's you today, I encourage you to go and grab some prayer as the team say a blessing over you, that you would know God's restoration in your life for whatever lies ahead. The rebuilding is painful, but with God it's possible. I want to pray for us, and then the band are going to come and lead us in a song. And let's pray together. Father God, we hear the invitation to trust in you. We believe you are here this morning speaking to us. Lord, we pray that you would humble us. Forgive us for the times where we have overstepped our boundaries and come and reign in our lives. I pray for anyone here this morning whose ears have heard of you, but eyes haven't seen you yet. Lord, come and meet with us so that we might be changed. Thank you that you take our wrestling, you take our accusations, and you speak out of the storm and bring clarity, bring perspective. And I pray as we wrestle now with the truth that you give and you take away, would our response be a choice to bless your name. Holy Spirit, come and meet with us, we pray. We have questions, but we long to meet with you by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.